Here's the story of two dental hygienists from opposite sides of the world who became friends because they realized their professional lives were so in sync. One in Australia and one in America, both exuding their high passion for high-level patient care, both pushing back on legacy dentistry. If you are ready to revolutionize the practice of dental hygiene through science and innovation, join us as we are Disrupting Dentistry. Hello and welcome back to season two. Tabitha, we're in season two of our podcast. Do you believe it? I am so excited. Yeah. Thank you so much to every single listener, every single download, every single review, subscription. We just, it makes our day. We love you guys so much. And, you know, the whole uh, the whole reason we're doing this is because we're just such giant dental nerds and we just want to share our love for dentistry with our with our colleagues out there. So thank you so much and welcome to another just chit chat between my uh, dental bestie and I to share with all of our dental besties out there in the dental world. So this week we've got a bit of a heavy subject actually. We're going to talk about the bullying and the pushing down of the dental hygienist. So I think, I think we're going to call this the bullying and the bullshit of dental yeah. hygiene. Explicit There's been warning. a lot going on, hasn't there? A lot going on personally for us and, and you know, on social media and different things. And um, I think that we've touched on this before, but dental hygiene especially for a dental hygienist, can be a very lonely career. Absolutely. You're like, where, a lonely Where the dentist, I've worked in a big group practice where there was two offices inside of it. Like, um, like there was an office where the dentist sat and had computer desks and ate their lunch. And then there was an office, then there was a staff room for support staff. And as dental hygienists, we had to sit with the support staff, which is fine. But then at Christmas time when they gave out gifts, we weren't allowed to get a gift because we weren't support staff. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's so funny, how like that all the time. And I'm like, but I'm not allowed to sit in the office with you. <laughs> you know, like we're so we're, we're like the middle child of dentistry because we're not quite like and I don't mean that as a disrespect to any middle children. But I mean, like, we're not quite the you know, we're not the dentist. We're not the doctor of the practice. And we're not the support staff. We're yeah. like in this weird in-between space where we are providers. We do have our own schedule. We do treat our own patients. We do have a line of production that comes out of our chair. And then we help the production of the restorative team as well. So like nobody else has a position in the practice like us. But yet like they want to treat us like a provider and put a lot of pressure on us in some instances. But then when we want to step up in that role and say, hey, I do A, B, C, and D, Often then they want to push you back down to like, well, you're your support staff, you're this, you're that, you don't get this because. So it's like pick a spot and keep us there already. Like stop playing the game. <laughs> and then I also find there's sometimes tension between the assistants or the front desk and us because they just look at us as glorified dental assistants who get paid way more than them. And they don't I don't think they even realize the level of work that we have to do. Like you know, where I am, I don't have an assistant. I'm changing over my room. I'm writing my notes. I'm writing reports. I'm seeing my patients. I am just under the pump all day. And it does make me angry that I don't have an assistant because I kind of think, well, why am I not valued enough to have someone helping me? I agree with you 100%. And if you think about it from like a provider aspect, 
every other provider in a practice does have an assistant because it's not worth like why spend their time flipping and cleaning a room when they could be treating a patient. That's a way more productive use of their time. So since we are also providers at a different scale than dentists, obviously, why isn't that provided for us too? From a business perspective, that's a smarter use of our hourly wage. Yeah. So it's it, it's a tough one because it's it goes really back to the fact that the culture of dentistry is so broken. It's broken in so many ways. And, um, you know, so I think that that's it's it's really time and I see it and I feel it. And I think, again, this is one of the positive aspects that are going to come out of the pandemic. I feel like things are shifting and changing. And I think a lot of hygienists, you know, they they've they've used their voices throughout the pandemic and and said, no, I'm not going to do this or this is the way we need to work together collaboratively. There's also been a lot of like, why is there such this systemic divide between like dentists and hygienists? Um, I think just a lot of things have been brought to light that need to get worked on so that we can all like work to the highest level of our scope. And at the end of the day, treat more patients and treat them with quality care that they deserve. And I think we just need to be respected inside the dental practice. We have degrees, we're qualified, we are healthcare providers. And um, I can't remember his name, that lobbyist in America, but... Oh, I know very well. His name is David Marsh. David Marsh. You know, I'd like to say some things to David Marsh, but we'd have to keep beeping it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I'll just go beep, 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 beep. (laughs) That's what I think of you. But it's unacceptable for him to talk about us like this. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, Melissa, you've got it there, don't you, what he said? Yeah. Can you? So David Marsh, yeah. Uh, Let me bring you all up to speed. If you're not in America and you haven't heard this yet, it happened a couple of weeks ago. Um, He is a lobbyist for the Illinois Dental Society. And he said it would be dangerous for hygienists to treat nursing home residents who are often elderly and sick. And that he, quote, I just don't feel anybody with a two-year associate's degree is medically qualified to correct your health. They are trained to clean teeth. They take a sharp little instrument and scrape your teeth. That's what they do. That's all they do, end quote. Um, So Mr. Marsh really pissed a lot of hygienists off. Um, Yeah, if you want to go check out on my Instagram, I wrote a whole post about it. Uh, he just does not understand what we do. And the other thing, you know, to just kind of go back with our two-year associate's degree. Yes, a lot of us are out in the field practicing with a two-year associate's degree. However, what Mr. Marsh does not understand is we graduate with an associate's degree that's like three credits shy of a bachelor's degree. Mm. And that is, you know, so we have all of this education crammed into two years, but we really should be in a baccalaureate program program. There's, there's really no reason why. And I think that there's, I know that there's a lot of schools that are starting to uh, connect with four-year degree programs so that you could do your associates at one and then carry on and complete your education elsewhere. But I would really like to run the data and find out how many hygienists in the U.S. actually do have a bachelor's degree, because it's probably more than Mr. Marsh even understands. And the other thing that I don't get, and this is this is from like a U.S. perspective, because, again, we don't have a national license and we don't have autonomy equally everywhere. So how is it that the dental boards in places like Colorado and Maine, where they do have independent practice, 
deem hygienists with the same sort of qualifications as myself or you able to treat patients independently. But where I reside, I, I am not. Yeah, well, like that we talk about a lot about this ridiculous different state rule in America and it, it, I think that's one of the things that needs to change the most and we used to have it as well and it's been one of the most positive things for us is when we had national registration because it really does make it easier than to fight um, dentists that are trying to just put their thumb on us and keep us down because at the end of the day what really makes me angry about this is he does not care about residents of nursing homes no, because if he did, he'd want us in there and dentists who are trying to push us down with their thumb and don't want us to progress and don't want us to to rise up it has nothing to do with access to care it is all about controlling us keeping the money in house not wanting us to be independently profitable and taking money out of their pocket or even if we kept working for them not wanting us to rise up and want more because that's what they want. They want to push us down, keep us under control. And it's not all dentists. There's some really nice ones. But, <laughs> but the loud yeah, ones who want to push us if down. Dentist it is to this, yeah, if you're a dentist and listening to this, that here's our disclaimer for this episode. We are not, when we say dentists, we are not talking individually about you. There are some amazing dentists that have been on our podcast that show us love and support and, and there are, you are the, you know, 1% out there. I wish there, you were the 100%, but you're the one percenters. And we love you and we adore you. And we thank you for treating your hygiene teams and all of the members on your team as amazing as you do and respecting their knowledge and allowing them to practice the scope. So there's our disclaimer <laughs> for the amazing ones out there. Yeah. Wow. It really does make me angry. And we have to think of this is it's a form of bullying. And so much bullying happens to dental hygienists within practices. And it really just isn't acceptable anymore. And I know that it's a huge problem in Australia. It's a huge problem in America. And I'm sure we're not the only two countries experiencing it. I'm sure it's happening in multiple countries across the world. Because when we talk to guests from all over the world, we hear the same problems. It's quite interesting that our that our profession experiences the same issues globally, and you know I've had enough. I'm kind of tired of it. <laughs> I'm just yeah. needs to stop. Yeah. It, and it's yeah. just not it could be. I'm sorry, Tab. We're so passionate about this. We be, we both are like blah 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 blah. Um, it's it's it could be so much better than it is. It doesn't have to be this hard. Right. Like we're making it so complicated. And the thing is, too, that if I, there's hygienists that don't want to own their own practice and that's OK. So it's we have to stop looking at it from such a scarcity mindset. Like this goes back to to what we discussed with Kelsey on our last episode. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, please go back and listen. to it. She is amazing. And, and specifically when it comes to like the elderly population, you know, like we could be preventing them living in these assisted living homes if we started providing them with the right care when they were a young adult like we can yeah. reduce the bacteria that can implicate dementia turn on the genes for cancers like there's so many things that we could be doing to help prevent disease and that's what people like david marsh don't get he has you know i'm so sick of old dentistry i'm so sick of legacy dentistry i'm so sick of pick polish scrape you know, that's not what I do. Stop lumping me in this this category 
I don't do that. I want to provide healthcare. I want to change the lives of the patients I treat in an impactful and positive way every day. And dentistry doesn't let me do that. And then what ends up happening too, as you as the hygienist have this professional kind of like awakening and you start changing your mindset and having these different conversations with patients, and then you see the results and the change happening with them, you know, things start to change within you. And then all of a sudden, the culture of your practice and the way you're treated by your peers within your practice starts to change too. And Tabitha and I both have personal experience with that. So it's kind of like, you know, when you, when you get to this point in your career where you're like, I'm sick and tired of being a profi princess, something's got to give. And then you have that opening in your mind and, or something, somebody teaches you something, you, you read an article, you see somebody speak something, whatever it is that that's that like moment where it turns around for you. And then you bring that into your operatory and you start seeing the change and you're motivated again and you're inspired again and you're, you're kicking ass and taking names every day. And you're actually like that fire within is reignited that got you into this profession to begin with. And then all of a sudden you just get crapped on by your, by the people you're working with. And it yeah. really sucks. It really sucks. It's hard. Yeah. And I, I would be interested to know how many people have actually left the profession because of it. I'm sure it's one of the contributing factors to why people end up leaving, yeah. leaving people. And I think that, you know, I've definitely worked in workplaces where we've been called the girls and I've been slapped on the ass and, you know, like, and you're just like, yeah. what the hell? And I'm not that old, okay? It's It was never acceptable. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that too because, like, I, I feel like our generation in dentistry, like, when we first got into it, there was still a lot of that, like, sexualization going on and you just dealt yeah. with it. You just were like, and, and went on with your day. But... Like it's not, it's so not acceptable anymore. Yeah. And and I'm embarrassed for some of the things that I've allowed other like doctors and patients to say to me in the past. Like I'm embarrassed that I wasn't able to speak up back then, but you know what? It's part of my journey. It's part of my learning and, and it is what it is, but like I would empower anyone else to stand up and say, excuse me, that's very unprofessional and you're making me uncomfortable. And if you continue to behave this way, here's the door. Like, this isn't going to happen. I think one of the big problems in dental is, is that because we don't work in a large corporation that has a HR department and a payroll and all of these things, the one person is in charge of everything. Usually we're in a small practice where the owner is the principal dentist, he's the payroll or she's the payroll, um, they're the HR, they're the everything. So if you have one little problem with something, it's always the same person that, that deals with everything. And so therefore it creates an internal tension about even raising a lot of issues because it's that one person. It's that and they're your direct employer and they're the person you've got to work with each day and it's a small group environment and you're worried about rocking the boat, you're worried about what the consequences are going to be and there is no HR to pull them in line. There is no HR to tell them that's not okay. Yeah. And so, so much abuse of that power is used because they are everything. And that's a really hard job. So I don't want to take away from that. Like it would be a really difficult job to be all those roles. And then I think the other issue is, is all these dentists that learn to be great clinicians. 
They have zero business skills, zero people management skills. They have no idea about HR and all of those things. And then they go do all of those jobs with no skills. And some of them do it fantastically and go find out the information and hire consultants to help them and do everything right. And some of them just don't even care what the law is and just go, no, I don't want to do that. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. And then it leaves you standing there scratching your head with that feeling where you just feel sick to your stomach or like your heart just falls and you're just like, oh, I have to get up and go here again today. So it's, it's just not, it's, you're right. It's a lot for them and it's tough, but it's also, you know, uh, hygienists need to know that they are the expertise, the expert in that office, in that role. No one else is going to do that job the way you do that job or are qualified to do that job. You know, yes, dentists, they, they were trained to do what we do but not the way we were trained to do it. Not with the extent that we were trained in. So they are not the specialists in that, you know? So it's, it's, it's a tough, it's, 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 there's like this dichotomy between it. It's really, it's really challenging. And I think we need to realize that, um, you know, bullying doesn't just happen to someone in the beginning of their career. It can happen out through any stage of a career. It can happen to someone who's been in their career for 40 years. It can happen to someone that's been in their career for 20 years. So don't think of it as just as someone that's just a new graduate. I know it happens to new graduates a lot, but it can happen at any stage of the career. So um, realize that that can happen anywhere that you are. It doesn't discriminate and, you know, it can happen to any of us. And but it really can create a very negative and unproductive, productive and toxic culture within our workplace. So don't underestimate what bullying can do to your mental and physical health as well. And um, the psychological harm that it has to you. But and, you know, just if you dreading going to work every day, find a new workplace because it's not worth it. I've stuck it out somewhere for way longer than I should. And when I did find a new workplace years ago, I didn't realize how crappy I'd been feeling until like I was like, I don't feel anxious about going to work. Oh, this meant to feel like. <laughs> right. It's it's so crazy that like we don't even realize how much we're putting up and dealing with, right? It's yeah. kind of like I say, I say to patients all the time who have like active periodontal disease and we're gonna roll into doing non-surgical uh, periodontal therapy. I'll tell them once we're done and we get you into remission, you're not, you didn't even realize how bad your mouth felt until yeah. we get it healthy. So it's like the same kind of thing. Like I always draw these scenarios between what I do. Cause I feel like I have such a good hold on what I do clinically. Like, how would I say that to a patient? And then when you bring it into real life, it's like, Oh yeah, I would say yeah. it like this. So it kind of like helps. I don't know. That's just my brand of crazy. It helps me draw those parallels and, yeah. and kind of make me feel like, okay, this is how I would have handled it in my op. So, you know, it's not okay to feel like that. It's really not. So you know, if it if it means scheduling some time to sit down and discuss with the practice owner and or the admin team, whoever, you know, every office is structured a little differently. So whoever, whatever the appropriate channels are, if you need to sit down and have a discussion, I would actually, I, I would encourage you to initiate that, to start that process so that you could feel better and, and write down your thoughts and so that you can come to the table to be able to address all the points that you want to address 
But I would also encourage you to come to the meeting in a sense that it's not about complaining. You know, these are the things that are wrong. And I would like to address them because I would like the workplace to be more efficient, a better environment, you know, have a very positive spin on it. Because, you know, if you're just coming to we're just we're already being explicit. So I'm just going to keep cursing. If you're just coming to bitch, (laughs) you're not going to get anywhere. And that's how that's that negative stigma that comes along with it, too. So you know, when you have a problem, come to the table with wanting to solve that problem and throwing out some some potential solutions or or how can we work around this? How can we make it better? That kind of attitude, because um, that's going to be much more well received than just blaming. Because think about when somebody blames something for you, your hair stands up, you kind of get defensive. Yeah. So you don't want to come to the table that way if you truly want to make the situation better. Yeah. And then think about if you're there at work and you're trying to figure out, like, well, what is this? And so what can bullying in the dental practice look like? Well, it's professional bullying or workplace bullying is what we're going to is what it's called. And the definition of workplace bullying is repeated health harming mistreatment of one or more persons, the targets by one or more perpetrators. It's abusive conduct that is threatening, humiliating, intimidating, work interference, sabotage, which prevents work from getting done or verbal abuse. In some work-related terms, this appears in institutionalised professional development courses as a difficult people, personality conflict, ill treatment, psychological harassment or emotional abuse at work. Any label given that falls within this character category is a behaviour is considered bullying. And so I think it happens way more than we might really realise, unfortunately. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's funny too, bullying comes in different forms and it can come from the top and go down. So something that Tabitha and I both have experienced is that, you know, as we've grown in our roles outside of clinical hygiene and sharing with our colleagues and doing education, you would think that the practices we worked in at the time would be like super excited and supportive that they have a team member who feels so passionate about what they do for their patients that they, they're willing to go out and help other people on their journey and share. But it actually has had the opposite effect yeah. where it's it, it becomes almost seen as like a threat. Like now I don't need you as my main source of income, even though they have no idea what that even looks like because when you go out and speak it's not you know you end up working a lot more hours than what you're making at the end of the day with putting together the presentation and all the arrangements and this and that so you really do truly have to love it and have passion in your heart to want to share these things because when you figure out the the hourly rate for the work you put in it's pretty low when you when you yeah it's pretty bad because you know, like I always feel me personally, I've never researched enough. There's not enough science in it. I have to dig deeper. It, it, you go down rabbit holes. Anyway, I'm digressing. So like it's it, it gets seen as like this threat, like that you're going to leave, you're going to leave, you're going to leave. And then all of a sudden they start treating you like really crappy. And it's almost yes. like they're preparing for your departure, even if you have no intention of going anywhere. Yeah. And, and yeah. but yet that pushes you closer to the door because you're like, why am I? dealing with this crap why am I putting up with this shit yeah well there's a good article on dentistry IQ on um dental bullying and what are they 
um, things that they brought up in it was that the victims in dental practices are often chosen by offenders because they're more technically skilled, whistleblowers of unethical practices, non-confrontational, independent, better liked or have greater emotional intelligence. Um, many <laughs> professional bullies are insecure and display their insecurities with bullying behaviour. When a professional is experiencing bullying, they often ask themselves, why me? It's important to understand that the offender's behaviour is out of their control. Although they may be unable to control their offender's actions, they should never ignore it. No. No, yeah. And, and, and understand that it's not you, it's them. Yeah. You know, often, like like what you just said, it's something about you that's triggering something in them. Doesn't make it easier to deal with, but it kind of helps you not look at you like you've done something wrong. Yeah. And we just have to remember as well, this was another good point from the article that it said, our self-worth is the responsibility of ourselves alone. Any attempts to change the disposition of another person, especially a bully, is futile. So, you know, don't let that... And I think that's really, really, really hard to do, to not let your self-worth get hit when you're experiencing it. Um, but it shouldn't change. Um, I saw a good quote the other day um, and it was on, I think it was on Instagram or something like that, but someone had just written about, you know, when you're questioning, you know, am I good enough for this? Can I do this? And thinking that other people think you're not good enough. Say to yourself, who said that? Who said those words? And yeah. often no one has said those words except you. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if you can't if you can't name a time and place, move on. <laughs> I could have thought, what a really good point. <laughs> that is a great point. I was at a course early into my career and, and they had us bring in, it was like an ongoing like practice management thing. And they had us bring in one of our homework was bringing in a picture of ourselves when we were younger. And we had to say, like, you're, you tell yourself you can't without a problem or you're no good or you, you this, you that. You talk down to yourself so well. Look at that picture of you when you were a child. Would you, what would you do if someone said that to, to that? Yeah. So you, you, like, you know, if you, or like if you have your own child, would you tell your own child, oh, you can't do that. You're not good enough. You know, you wouldn't say those things. So, like, don't say it to you. And that's, that's the hard part. Especially when you're being bullied, it's so easy to believe and so easy to look at ourselves and be like, what did I do wrong? How did I cause this? And it really isn't that. Yeah. There's another good article too from the Journal of Dental Hygiene and this was on workplace bullying and it was a survey of Virginia dental hygienists. And they found that 64% had experienced bullying. And data revealed one-fourth of the respondents experienced one um, workplace bullying. The most frequent behaviours experienced of those being bullied were having their opinions and views ignored, experiencing unmanageable workloads, oh, I've been there, and having yeah. their work excessively monitored on a weekly or daily basis. And I've heard that from other hygienists as well about, you know, having dentists come in and check them like they're still students. And I'm like, hmm they're clinicians do they do that to the dentists yeah right well yeah could, so, I mean you, you, I guess you could be like oh doctor I couldn't scale around this margin because it's so bulky yeah I think the other huge problem that we have as well is that often the manager is the dentist's partner so then you're in this like horrific situation where 
If it's the manager that's causing your issue, how do you go tell the dentist that their partner's annoying you? And if it's the dentist doing something, how do you go tell their partner, the manager? Like those workplace environments where a husband and wife team are managing have been some of the most toxic things I've ever been involved in in my life. And usually when someone says to me, I'm going, I've been offered this job and like the dentist, like it's owned by a dentist and his wife's the practice manager. I'm like, red flag, run. (laughs) I'm like, run now, run. Because it's interesting when you see people post about that, like on the Dental Health Network page and stuff, hundreds of people will comment all with very similar comments that they've had horrific experiences when partners have been involved. Or I've been in a practice as well where, the husband and wife were breaking up but still working together because they both owned the practice and wouldn't speak to each other. So then they would say, can you tell them this? Can you tell them this? Can you?" And it felt like the child in a divorce. Yeah, that's a rough one right there. And you're like, oh, my God, this is awful. Let me go home. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I didn't sign up for this. Yeah. Um, I I had a mother-son once. That was a very interesting yeah. Or it's worse when like a husband and wife own the practice together and then one of them sleep with one of the other staff members. That creates oh a lovely toxic environment as well. Goodness. Seriously, yeah. there could be coffee table books written about the things that I want to know in the about. comments on Instagram who has worked at a dental practice where the principal dentist is having an affair with someone in the practice. Do you know that I've only worked at very few, I won't say the number because then people might start looking at my work history trying to figure it out. <laughs> Very few practices where this hasn't happened. <laughs> the more of the practices I've worked at has it happened than it hasn't. It's crazy. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, I mean, same. There's been a lot of, I, I would have to say out of all of the practices I've been in half have had these kind of issues as well. Yeah, and with that, there becomes more issues because then the person that they're having the affair with gets all this special treatment and they're not even working their normal hours and they're not doing any work and they're usually the office manager and then you've got no one to complain to. (laughs) So it just creates this, but it just creates this tension and and toxic level in the workplace as well. And, um, yeah, I really dislike it. And also, like, you lose a bit of respect because you're like, what are you doing? Absolutely. Absolutely. See that. And that's the thing. So that's like the beginning of the end of a relationship, like a professional relationship, because it's like, how do you even like you're over here trying to hold your own and keep yourself together, knowing that all of this chaos is happening in the background. And there's enough chaos happening in front of you with your patient every hour on the hour. So, I mean, who needs that? Who needs that level of stress to deal with that stuff? You know, it's just too much. So, yeah, you know, we have to start doing some surveys and, and collecting some data because it's, I always wondered, you know, do, like do patients realize how crazy um, right, dental practice can be? I don't know if anyone here used to watch the, the office, the American version. I was obsessed with that show. I loved it. You know, it's quite awkward and quite funny, but I always used to think they need like a single camera dental office comedy. Cause I feel like there'd be oh, enough drama. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've had many bosses that are like Michael Scott that just have no idea. <laughs> and it would, I feel if it wasn't the tragedy of my life working in those offices, it would be very 
funny like comedy. <laughs> the tragedy of my life. Oh my god! But like, it was a screenplay, and it, people would be like, "There's no way this stuff is true," and you're like, "No, it is." <laughs> it's so funny. So like. I had an issue recently. I wouldn't even say it's an issue. I think it's just like the way you interpret things as well. And and we have to, I think it's our responsibility to um, also understand, you know, we have to take courses and, and educate ourselves on like things like emotional intelligence and, and like train ourselves how to speak to people or recognize like, like disc training, recognize what motivates our patients, because that also works with our communication within our practice too, with our teammates and our bosses. So, um, you know, I had a, a situation where I recently, and I, and I love her to pieces, my, the, one of the assistants on our team, we have, um, an older, uh, sterilizer in our sterilization area where, you know, I'm used to working with ones that it does automatic cycle, it pops open, it vents itself, da, 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 da. They're the ones where you have to actually open and like put it on a vent cycle. So I had some downtime and I went to like help them out and restock the instruments that are clean and da, 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 da. And she comes in and she's like, for the love of God, can you not do that when it's on the venting cycle? And I was like, whoa, hold up, time out. If there's a time frame that these have to go on, just let me know what it is. I haven't used equipment like this in 15 stinking years. <laughs> so please educate me. I said it works. I get it. There's nothing wrong with it. I get it. But just tell me what you would like me to do, how you'd like me to do it. And I'd be more than happy to do it that way. I yeah. just haven't done it in so long. I don't recall. So please educate me. And it diffused the situation, but I could see how like somebody else might've taken offense to the way she came at it. And she's younger. So she's, you know, I, I just, I used my skill set that I have acquired to help me with my patients, with my teammates. And I think that that's an important thing that we could do. You know, it's, it's, it's not, it just doesn't end in the operatory. It crosses over to so many areas of your life. So is an important thing to recognize that people communicate differently. So something that you might be finding offensive may not actually be meant in that way at all. It could be their communication style. So like I know for myself, I'm a really direct communicator. I don't really beat around the bush much and I will just say what I'm thinking. And it, I often have nothing else behind it except for exactly what I'm thinking. There's no ulterior motive. It's just this is what I'm thinking. I'm going to say it. And it's just out there. You know, and for some people that can be quite confronting or maybe think that that's a bit harsh, but I'm like, no, I'm just saying what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, yeah. And I had to learn to try and soften my approach with things because I can be quite direct in my communication. So for some people where I find people that are that beat around the bush and don't say directly and I find it quite passive aggressive and really annoying, I'm like, just say what yeah. you're thinking. Don't do this to yeah. me. It's very annoying. But that's something I realise as I've got older that that actually has more to do with their confidence of putting it out there sometimes and not that they're trying to be be a certain way. It's that their confidence lacks to come out and say something directly sometimes as well. So, Or they don't like confrontation, so they don't want to say it. So, you know, learning that people have different communication styles really helps you. And like you said, the DISC um, 
I think is a really good thing. We should get Miranda on to talk about it a bit because yeah. I think it's very, very worthwhile every dental professional being trained to understand that. And it's definitely helped me with patients with understanding, okay, they want the information like this or they want the information like this very quickly. And that I think that's a really important aspect of how we communicate and deliver information as well because I'm someone that does not want your fluff when I'm in a dental appointment. Like just give me the information. I want it straight out. I want all the details and then I want to go. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like learning and we have so much to do. And that's one of the things like we get so stressed out and overwhelmed because we're doing 9 million things. Like we are on stage and have to get it all right all the time, all day, eight hours straight. Don't get to drink. Don't get to pee. You're starving. Still have to write charts. Like we have so many things going on. So then if like one little thing goes awry, it's like you just can't handle it and you lose your your mind. Like you just like, ah! and then that's how, then that could be interpreted. Like you could be in sterilization and just like zipping around because you know you got to get back in that room and do something else and you're running mind schedule. You still need an exam and somebody could interpret your body language yeah. as like being a little bitchy or aggressive when it has nothing to do with anybody else. You're just trying to get your stuff done, you know? And so there's so many layers of it. And I think that everybody in a dental office and, and probably everybody everywhere should really go through some kind of like disc training, emotional intelligence. I don't think that we value mental health and perceptions. And I feel like as high as we should. And I feel like everybody's always like, it's all about me now, me, me, me. I felt this way. You said this. It made me feel this way. And, and I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but I think that we have to look at the bigger picture because it's not just about you, you know, it's about everybody. And we should try to create environments that we're in that where we're leading with more like compassion and caring and love and, and, you know, wanting to do good in this world. Like I always look at every day on my schedule. I want to leave these people that I have the honor and the opportunity to treat better than the way I found them. And that yeah. goes for my coworkers too. Like I want to, I want to have fun when I'm at work. There's enough stress of what I got to accomplish while I'm there. Like, I want to have fun with you. I want to be able to like come out and press the button while I'm taking a radiograph and like spin and dance and we laugh about it. And then I just go back in and get serious again. <laughs> Take the next one. You know, like those are the ways that you have fun and be silly and create a good culture and environment. You know, what we all do is hard. It's, it's not yeah. easy. So we got to make it fun. Yeah, it's a really stinking hard job. We can have really difficult patients some days as well. Like the other day I had a patient and I was just like, oh, my God, I, I could quit hygiene today. <laughs> yeah, just, they just suck every living cell right out of you. Out of my yeah. me. And I was just like, I actually, when I walked her to the front desk, Sorry, Sarah, if you listen, the other hygienist at my work. But I said to her, Sarah works Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. And I walked off. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I just left her a little post-it note to the receptionist that said, don't let her back in my book. <laughs> yeah. And I was yeah. like, no, I can't do it again. That's the benefit of being in a practice with more than one clinician, though, is that sometimes the other clinician can have no problem with that patient at all. But she was so rude to me. She was so awful. And the other clinician has seen her before. And she goes, yeah, I don't like her either. She's horrible, but it's fine. You can put it back in my book. And I was like, it was just so awful. <laughs> I said, yeah. how do we make her not come to this practice again? <laughs> it was like, 
just I was like I feel defeated and broken by the end of this appointment but sometimes you know I've had patients from her who I'm like oh no they're fine with me you know they just have that like now they're fine with me we just don't have that click Right. You know, it doesn't happen a lot, but, you know, when you're in a practice and you're the only hygienist, you've got no one to shove them off to you like, oh, I'm no. with this. <laughs> right, and that's when you're like the lone ranger and you have nobody that, like, nobody gets you if, when you're the lone hygienist. Nobody, yeah. you don't have anybody to, like, run a sterilization, be like, oh, my God, do you believe this? Like, blah, 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 blah. I had stopped, like, five miles of subgingival calculus and I couldn't get it off or I was struggling and da, da, da. Like, you don't have anybody to, like, share those things with. Yeah. So not to, like make a little um, segue commercial for badass hygiene, but that's kind of why I created badass hygiene because I wanted to create a community and a place for hygienists who were that lone wolf, that lone ranger to be able to say, Hey, dealt with this today, invent and have a community of peers that are here to support you and be like, I've been in that trench too, girl. I will help pick you up. And here's what we could do together to make it better. So um, if you want to head over to www.badasshygiene.com, <laughs> I'd love to welcome you with open arms. <laughs> it's really important that we um, all extend that that branch out to new grads. Um, yeah. They come yeah. out and they graduate and you're really alone. It's one of the rare professions where you're not, you know, mentored or in an environment where you've got that structure mentoring system and you don't go you go to a workplace where there's no one else doing your job sometimes and so that's a bit of a weird situation you know if you're a registered nurse you go to a hospital and there's lots of you if you're a doctor you go to a hospital and there's lots of you if you're a new grad dentist you usually go work for another dentist Um, or you do like a residency for a year before you're in private practice yeah so there's all the like most other professions you know you're a new dental assistant there's other dental assistants usually at the practice so We're one of those rare professions where we could go to a workplace and be the only person. And then if that new grad's going to work maybe for a dentist that's never even hired a hygienist before, you know, and doesn't even know what they're doing and how to work with them, it can be really overwhelming. So, you know, if you can help nicely on Facebook when someone asks questions and and not be a Karen and just, like, put nice comments and try not to judge them too much or just, you know, extend a branch out to say I can help you can contact me I can have a chat with you or I can answer some questions because it's really lonely in the practice by yourself and you can really help shape someone's career really change the trajectory of it by giving them that hand and saying it's okay because everyone needs someone to talk to about it and it's not the same when you come home and speak to your partner because if they're not in dental they don't get it and they give you advice makes me want to punch them in the face sometimes you're like shut up oh my gosh yes <laughs> love you john but you would do not give good dental advice at all <laughs> when they're like go to hr we're like there is no hr <laughs> my husband's like take them outside i'm like it doesn't work like that <laughs> so you know, it's easy to go home and talk about this maybe with your parents or your partner or your siblings because yeah. Dental practices are very unique workplaces um, and, you know, they're small businesses at the end of the day and a lot of stuff goes on that shouldn't go on because there's no one there governing it and there's no one there overseeing what's happening. And so it can be very lonely and having someone that understands is really important because other people just don't get what it's like. No, they don't. But I hope that this episode will help you understand that you're not alone 
And please know that whenever, you know, you hear something on this podcast or, you know, you want to talk a little bit further about it, myself, Tabitha, we're available. Reach out to us on Instagram. Send us a DM. You know, our email is posted with our our uh, podcast. Send us an email. However you feel like communicating with us, please reach out to us. We're here to help and support you. Whatever it is, I mean, we haven't been through it all, but we've been through a lot. Yeah. We'd be more than happy to help you navigate some of the baddies that we've already navigated through. So that's that's part of why we do what we do. And that's definitely why we decided to have this episode. It was just kind of rolling with both of our lives. And we're like, hey, you know what? Let's just talk about this. So um, this is this is very real life, very transparent. I think you guys very know this now that we've... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now that we're on season two, I think you you get it. But you know what I think? I was thinking too, Tabitha, that maybe this will segue into another episode. I would love for us to be able to share with our listeners um, the people that have inspired us throughout our careers. I think we should do an episode highlighting those people because, you know, it, it's it's so important to help each other out and not vilify each other or make each other feel badly for, I, I've done some stupid shit over the years, just because I didn't know any better. I didn't know any better. And I didn't have somebody there to say, Hey, you know what, Melissa, that might not be the best way to go about that. So like, I want to help other hygienists not have to go through the garbage that I went through. And I know Tabitha feels the same way. I think my, I think looking back through my whole career, and even my personal life, my one biggest mistake that I always do is um, I ignore a lot of things that make me unhappy. And I just plot along and think I'll ignore it I'll ignore it I'll ignore it I'll ignore it and I ignore the little things but they build up and then I get really shitty because I haven't just said something because I haven't wanted to have the confrontation over something little so I think raising the little things actually is a better thing because it's actually not that bad of a conversation when it's something little and then they don't build yeah. up and it doesn't turn into this big thing where you're holding resentment at work over all these little things that someone didn't actually realize they were doing to you sometimes. That's such great advice because I have been in that same position on numerous occasions. And then you're like, feel so good when it's done and dealt with. And you're like, why did I walk around and make it stressful for myself for all this time yeah. by just not doing it? So I think that's excellent advice. So on that note, we're going to wrap this one up. Um, again, just please feel free to reach out to either one of us. Um, we're here to support you. We love you. We want to see you successful and love your profession so that you can help change patients' lives in meaningful and positive ways every single day. You deserve it. You deserve to reap the rewards of all the hard work you've done to earn your degree and, and be in this profession. And, you know, you are amazing. So keep being outstanding and amazing. Till next time. (laughs) Keep disrupting. Hey, thank you again so much for tuning into the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. We love to hear from you viewers and we love that you join us for our episodes. Please make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And leave us a review. We love reading reviews from all over the world. It's one of the things that actually makes all the hard work feel really worth it when we get to see which episodes you're enjoying or some feedback that you give. So leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or write something on our Facebook or our Instagram page. We'd love to hear from you. And thanks so much for listening. Keep on disrupting.